Hey, good morning. If you've got a Bible, I want you to grab your Bible and open it to 2 Corinthians, which is about midway through the New Testament. Find your way to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 9 today. Um, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll put the verses on the screens for you. You can even get a Bible for free um, in the lobby today. We'd love to be able to give you a Bible if you don't own uh, one. Well, hey, today we're continuing our series, Rooted. Somebody say, Rooted. Rooted. Say it louder. Rooted. Say it louder. Rooted. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Got to wake you up a little bit uh, because we're ready to dive into the Word. Today we continue uh, Rooted. And just to catch you up, maybe if you're new, maybe you're not exactly sure what this is about, um, our, our church, um, kind of our, our annual rhythm is we run from a, a fiscal year from July to June, which is kind of how we think and plan and operate. And we believe back in the summer that God was uh, leading me and leading our elders to a vision to be rooted for this year, that as a church, in order to be able to sustain and bear the kind of fruit that God was bringing, that we needed deep roots, that we really needed deep roots to invest our lives into uh, our systems, our structures, our ministries, our leadership, um, everything that we do at the bridge in order to be able to accomplish what he has called us to do. We believe that God spoke that. We believe that's what the Lord has spoken for um, us to do, and I'm not going to uh, apologize for that. We believe that's what the Lord has spoken, and we, uh, we also believed uh, moving into the fall that um, we should take a, a specific season for a few weeks and look together at what it would look like for us to be rooted and to be invested in the mission of God. So we are all asking the question together. We're all asking this question, what does it look like for me to be rooted in the mission of God? God, what does it look like for us to be rooted in the mission of God? What does it look like for us to be invested with our time, our talent, and our treasure um, in the mission of God? Now, in addition to a series and a teaching series where we're walking through this together and supplying some resources for you in order to be rooted, we're also doing a faith initiative in this season because I believe that God is calling us to a moment of faith. A moment of faith to really kind of shake us out of our comfort, shake us out of any kind of convenient Christian living that we have arrived at in order to really think specifically and critically and directly about the mission of God and what he's calling us to. It's a faith moment. And so that's what we're doing with our faith initiative. Um, that's actually we're, we're having a faith commitment Sunday next Sunday. It's one week away on December 8th, where we are going to be coming together and giving a, a financial offering uh, to the mission of God through the Bridge Church um, that will be specifically for our family, for our city, and for our world. We're believing God for an audacious goal, a crazy goal, a bold goal of $235,000 um, for those three things to be for our family, for our city, and for our world. And here's the reality, y'all. God has put in front of us some amazing opportunities as a church. Um, God has put some amazing things ahead of us. God, there are some amazing things that we can step into as a church. I believe um, that God has more um, for us than what we are experiencing right now. I believe God has more for you than what you're experiencing right now. And so this is a moment of faith for us to step out in faith and believe God for what he has for us. Way to go, guys. Protecting the reflection off the screens. It's going to drive you type A people crazy for the rest of um, the sermon. Um, so here's what I want to do. I want to show a, a quick um, a video. Uh, two Sundays ago was we were emphasizing for our family and what that meant. Last Sunday we looked at for our city. And then today we're looking at for our world. And we put together a short video for you. So would you turn your attention to the screens?
This year's Rooted Faith Initiative is our opportunity to take a step of faith, a radical step of faith, and join God in seeing the gospel impact three areas for our family, for our city, and for our world. God is on the move through the Bridge Church, and we believe we have a great opportunity in this season to join God and invest our lives in His kingdom and His mission. Here's what's true about the mission of God. God's resources for God's mission reside in God's people. That means you and me. God's provision for His kingdom always comes through His people. Not through a book deal, a bake sale, a car wash, or a record label, but you and me. Our generosity fuels the mission of God. As the year ends, we're believing for each of us to make a one-time financial contribution to the Rooted Faith Initiative that will be above and beyond your regular giving to the Bridge Church. First, we're believing God for our world through church planning and partnership with the North American Mission Board. This year, we have three church planning partnerships, the Brook Church in Miami, Florida, New City Church in Tampa, Florida, and Redemption Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Second, we're believing God for our world through the International Mission Board and with international partnerships. This year, we're excited to partner with the Byerly family in Spain and with Haiti Awake. Through our partnership, we will have the opportunity to assist Haiti Awake with their first ever church plant. In order for that to happen, it will take resources. Now is the time to step out in faith and invest in the mission of God. There is no better investment in the world than the local church. There is no better place to invest your life, your energy, and your dollars than the local church. Every hour, every gift, and every dollar impacts our family, our city, and our world. Come on, church. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that... Man, I'm excited that we get to be a part of seeing the gospel move around the world and plant new churches and get to be a part of Haiti Awake and their first church plant ever um, through them and get to continue partnering with ministries in Spain and then partnering with three different church plants, um, a brand new one um, that's going to be started through Pastor Carter Monday, uh, Mundy in um, Roanoke, Virginia, and um, he's actually going to be able to be um, with us uh, in the new year uh, to share. Um, as well, we have one of our own uh, members, um, Jenny um, Ellis, who is going to serve in Asia internationally and leaving in January. Um, it's, it's amazing, and so we get to be a part of all this, and this specific um, offering is going to help um, fund that uh, to be able to happen, and so I'm super excited about that, and there we are, today we're talking about, and over the past few weeks we've been talking about this, a, a, lot, of, a lot of needs, a lot of resources that it's going to take in order to do this, but I, wanna he- I want you to hear me on this, that yes, in, in some sense there is fundraising that, rec- that is a part of this, but it's more than that. I want you to know that my heart is, it's not about fundraising, it's about faith raising. All right, and, and my heart for, for you is, is to be able to step out in faith and for us as a church to step out in faith boldly to believe God for what he is doing. Now, if you're new, you're like, what did I show up uh, to today? If you're new, maybe you're like, you showed up with a friend, maybe your extended family that's here too long after Thanksgiving and you decided to come and be with us um, at the bridge, and you're like, wow, did I show up on the wrong uh, Sunday? I, I actually want to say that um, I think you showed up on the right Sunday. 
I think you showed up on a Sunday where you're going to actually get to see a group of people live out what they say they believe. And you're going to be able to see a group of people who are going to put their money where their mouth is, which means actually investing in our city and our world, in our family, to see the gospel move forward. And so we are glad that uh, you are here. Now, in order to kind of help you, like to break this down for you, to help you kind of think through what this looks like in order for us to be able to achieve our goal, we put together a scenario um, to kind of help you think through this, what it would take for us to reach $235,000. So let's just say we had 170 people or 175 sorry, 175 people or 175 households uh, who decided to give to this one-time um, offering, this faith initiative. Um, it would take five people or five households that gave $10,000 each. It would take 20 households that gave $5,000 each, 50 that gave 1,000, 50 that gave 500, and 50 that gave 200. And if you total that up, that would, uh, uh, that would reach $235,000. That's a scenario for what it would take for us to be able to um, reach this goal. Now, here's what happened immediately when I put that up on the screen. Um, you immediately looked at a level, and you, you were like, wow, that's crazy. You looked at one that was below, perhaps, and you, you, you immediately found a level that um, is comfortable for you. You're like, ah, I think I could do that. Um, you immediately gravitated to one level that, yeah, I think I, think I could potentially do that. Here, here's, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do is to take a step of faith and to see what it would be for you to go to the next level that is above that. It isn't a step of faith if it's comfortable for you to do it. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, so we could do that. I think we could figure out how to do this. We could take a little money from the bank, you know, savings. Of, uh, we could make that check, cut the check. wouldn't be that big of a deal. That's not faith. And so what, what would it look like for you to step to another, a faith level, a sacrificial level, whatever that is for you, whether it's a couple hundred bucks or whether it's 500 bucks or $10,000 or more, what would it look like for you to take a step of faith in order to um, give to this in order for us to be able to see this? My wife and I, we've already been doing this. I had a head start a few months ago, and so we've already been thinking and working and planning through this, and what we believe God is calling us to do um, this, this year is, is radical. It's crazy, but uh, we believe that's what the Lord is leading us to do, and I hope that you will be praying in the same way. Next week is our Faith Commitment Sunday. So would you pray? Let's pray. Submit this to the Lord and um, ask him to bless um, our remaining time together as we look at the word. God, we just ask today that you would... Um, Lord, lead us and direct us and guide us. God, let us not play church. Let us not do comfortable Christianity. God, lead us and direct us. Speak to us. Empower us to do what you would have us to do. Let us be like a first century early church, not a 21st century lazy church. Awaken in us faith, God, to be able to believe you and to trust you. Even though we live in the most comfortable culture in the history of the world, we ask that you would help us to snap out of that and to be radical with your mission and your kingdom. And so would you um, direct our time for the moments that we have ahead of us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you're there, I'm going to go ahead and dive in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Today I want to teach you a principle that I believe if you understand it, and if you can get it, if you can understand this principle, I believe that it will transform your life. Today I'm going to be teaching you a principle that if you were able to really um, take hold of it and really see it um, become true in your life, I think it will transform you in a number of different areas. It's a principle that will revolutionize the way that you think about your life and the way that you think specifically about your resources. And this is the principle. It's called the principle of the seed. The principle of the seed. Now, in 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, to give you a little bit of context, the Apostle Paul is the author here. He is the writer. He is this first century apostle, church planner, pastor who is traveling from city to city to city. He's planting new churches in new cities to see the gospel move forward, which, by the way, we think the, mo- the greatest um, way the gospel moves forward is through church planting. It's through lo- local churches reproducing themselves and multiplying. That's why we believe in church planting. The Apostle Paul is planting churches. He starts a church in the city of Corinth. And then he, he moves on to another um, city. And then while he's gone, he writes back letters to these churches to instruct them, to encourage them, to exhort them, to rebuke them at times, to help them to understand what it means to be a Jesus follower, to live like Jesus, and to understand what the gospel does in your life and how to live that out in your culture, in your family, in your workplace, and in your world. And so he does in this, he spends actually several chapters unpacking a principle um, for what it means to give financially of your resources, to give your money to uh, the mission of God and the kingdom of God. And you're like, Ethan, is this a sermon on money? Yes, it is a sermon on money. Now, I've tried to figure this out, y'all. I've, like, tried to figure out how I can uh, bypass this topic as a pastor. But if I want to be a faithful pastor and a faithful preacher of the gospel, there's just no way for me to avoid this. <laughs> like, on Monday morning, I didn't wake up and think, wow, I get to preach a sermon on money on Sunday. I am so excited. You know, you probably didn't wake up this morning and be like, I hope the preacher is going to be talking about money uh, today. But here's the reality. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and somehow conveniently bypass the concept of money. It just doesn't work that way. Like, if you actually want to follow Jesus, the Jesus who you believe in, he talks about money more than anything else in his teachings, second only to the kingdom of God. He talks about money more than marriage, more than anxiety, more than depression, more than relationships, more than family. He talks about money more than everything else, second only to the kingdom of God. Now, why? Why so much? And he was actually a poor Galilean peasant, so why talk about money? Well, the reason that he talked about money so much was because money seems to be the thing that for most of us competes with God. It seems to be the thing that really takes perhaps the position of God in our lives. And Jesus would teach us, he said, you can love money or you can love God, but you can't love both. Like you got to pick. Every person has to make a decision on am I going to love money or am I going to love God? You can't love both. It would be like if I said to you, um, I love both of my wives. Now, like, unless, unless that doesn't work. Unless I'm in some freakish polygamous cult or something, like, that just doesn't work. Like, I got to pick. I got to pick who is going to get my love. And Jesus says it's the same way with God and money. You just have to decide. My heart for y'all at the end of the day I just want you to love God and not money, okay? I mean, actually, like, close the Bible and walk off the stage. Like, that's my heart for you. I want you to be wrapped up in God. I want you to love God. I want you to be full of God. I want you to, like, long for him and know him and walk with him more than money. And just see money as, like, a currency for the way that we live and the way that we operate. Currency is just, it just happens to be a part of, of life. But the end goal is, is God. I want you to love God. I don't want you to be tied up in, 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 in money. I want you to be tied up in God. I want your heart to be consumed not with money. But with God, that's, that's my heart. That is my goal, and that's Jesus' goal as well. And so the Apostle Paul, he parks 
for literally a couple chapters to help us unpack this, uh, this idea of what it means to um, under, understand how to, how to follow God with our money. And so he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'll begin in verse 6. What I'll do today is I'll walk through the text, I'll just read over it, and then I'll make several observations for the remainder of our time. Verse 6 says this, the point is this, don't you love it when the preacher gets to the point? The point is this, whoever sows sparingly, just a little bit, just the minimal amount, guess what, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully, which means extravagantly, will also reap bountifully. Each one, now you and me, every single one of us, every single Christian, every single follower of Jesus, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion because the pastor told them to, for God loves a cheerful giver. He just, I mean, he just loves it. That word there for cheerful, it's, it's actually the Greek word hilarion. It's where we get our word hilarious from, which means when you give financially to God and to his mission, you should chuckle a little. You should laugh a little bit. Like, man, this actually makes me happy. Like, wow, when he put that money in the offering plate, I actually smile. That was awesome. Like, when I click submit online and give my monthly commitment to um, God's mission, wow, I actually laugh a little bit. Wow, I give cheerfully. I give I give joyfully. It's like fun to do this. It's amazing to do this. Verse 8, and God is able, somebody say able. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Here's what's going to happen today. You're going to give excuses. I got student debt. Uh, we barely making the ends meet. Uh, we don't have anything to give. We have other priorities we have to accomplish first. Here's what you, those are excuses. I've given those excuses as well. You have to recognize that God is able. That's the faith part. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, which means contentment, in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, which means by doing this, you're actually going to abound. It's actually going to, like, put some wind in the sails. I mean, you're, you're not going to suffer from this. You're actually going to be empowered through this. And then jump to verse 10. It says this, he, this is God, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. In every way that you can think of, you're going to be enriched by practicing this principle. In every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Isn't it cool in God's providence that we get to talk about being gracious people, generous people, which actually is an offer of thanksgiving back to God. Isn't that beautiful? Today I want to teach you the principle, the principle of the seed. The principle of the seed. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break this down in, in three different points. First, we're going to look at the seed. Second, we're going to look at the sower. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the multiplier. So let's start with seed. the seed. Here we go. Number one, the seed. Now, this is an agricultural analogy. This is a metaphor. This is a physical analogy. This is a physical metaphor that communicates and interprets a spiritual reality in our lives. And so Paul is going to break this down for us on a real practical level, a, a 
practically, physically, in an earthly sense, so that we can understand a spiritual sense. Isn't it good when God gives us earthly realities to understand spiritual realities? I love it when he does this. So the seed, what is the seed? This is an agricultural analogy. This would be the seed that the farmer would actually possess, that the farmer would use for uh, planting for um, producing crops in order to make a harvest. The other option is uh, the farmer w- would use the seed to grind it up into grain and to make bread and meal and other things in order to be able to eat. And so the first thing that you've got to recognize is the seed. In this analogy, the seed represents your resources. Real easy. The seed represents your finances. And you're like, well, Ethan, I like to think that it, rep- it represents something other. This is a financial analogy. All right. This is a financial, sure, it might have applications in other places, but Paul's trying to break this down for us in a financial sense. The seed represents money. The seed represents finances. Now, there's three things that you can do with seed. Three things. The first thing that you can do is save it. You save the seed, you stock it away, you put it away, you keep it. You keep the seed for a later date, you put it in a jar, put it on the counter, put it in the pantry, put it somewhere else because you want to want it later um, for, for something else. That's The first thing that you can do with a seed is you can, you can save it. Now, um, some of you are savers in the room, right? You get a few extra bucks, you get an extra hundred, you get an extra Benjamin, and then uh, what do you do? You, you save it. Man, we got to stock this thing away. Man, we can save this thing for a rainy day. Keep this thing, keep this thing for later. Man, we keep saving this money, we'll be able to... Be able to have this, be able to have, have that saver. Um, some of you are savers in the room. Savers are, how many, just by a show of hands, we got any savers in the room? Raise your hand, real high and proud. You got savers? Got a few savers in the room. Um, savers typically are prone to a security. Savers typically are prone to security. They, they like to be secure. They, they, their, their world, the, the world in which they want to live is to have security, all right, to have a security blanket, to have a plan with a backup plan and then a backup plan for the backup plan for the plan. That's what savers typically. So the first thing that you can do with a seed is you can save it. Now, the second thing that you can do with a seed is spend it. You can spend it, which means you can, you can consume it. You can Eat it. You can just go ahead and take it right there, grind it up, and eat that thing. You can eat it right there in the moment. And so you can spend it. I mean, some of you are spenders. You get a Benjamin, you're like, man, I can finally get those sneakers that I've been wanting to get. I can, I can finally get those earrings that I've been wanting to get. I can get that top. We can go ahead and do this. We can do that. We've been waiting on this. We can spend that, that, that stuff. Um, how many of you, by a show of hands, are spenders in the room? We got a few spenders in the room. I am with you. I am a spender. You give me 100 bucks, I'll tell you 10 things that I could do with it right now. I'm a a spender. Um, I I, I am a spender. Now, now, savers are are, are more prone to um, wanting security. Spenders are more prone to wanting status. And so to be able to spend on something gives them value, gives them a feeling of status, and gives them what they are looking for. Now, here's what's interesting if you're married. Typically, God puts a saver and a spender together in the same marriage. That's typically, that's typically how, how it works, all right? It's, God did that intentionally because you got to work it out, all right? He didn't, he didn't say this is going to be easy. He said you got to figure this thing out. Now, there's three things. Three, so the first thing is you can save it. Um, the, the second thing is you can spend it. Now, here's the third thing that you can do with a seed. You can sow it. You can sow it. And sow it means that you actually plant it in the ground. You take the seed that is in your hand, 
You release it, you let it go, you put it into the ground, um, planting it, hoping and believing that it will spring forth into um, something altogether different that is a new plant that will actually bear more fruit, uh, exponentially more than the seed itself that you um, planted. You can save it, you can spend it, or you can sow it. Now, here's what we have to recognize. You, you will never understand the principle of the seed unless you recognize that it is God who supplies the seed that you have in the first place. Verse 10 says, it is he, God, who supplies seed to the sower. I'll, I'll say it this way. You will never be a giver if you think that you're giving away your money. You'll never be able to understand what it means to, to be able to practice generosity if you think that you're giving away your money. The seed that you have in your hand, whatever money, whatever possessions that you um, hold in, in your possession actually don't belong to you in the first place. They actually belong to God. I'll say, it, I'll say it this way. Everything you possess ultimately belongs to God. All right, when, when this, for me, my wife and I, um, when, when we first got married, we were not faithful when it came to giving financially to anything. Um, because we made excuses. I was in seminary. I'm working a couple part-time jobs. She was an educator. Like, we had bills just trying to make rent every month. I mean, it was, it was a little bit crazy. So we made excuses for why uh, um, this principle did not apply to us. <laughs> uh, how convenient. Um, and we, we, we thought, like, I, I don't, if I give of my, if I, if I give of my money um, to God, then I won't be able to live the, the way that I should be able to live. Th that's, a, that's a problem. I, I, was, I was trying to think of how much of my money I should give to God. Rather than recognizing, no, this is God money that he's, give, he's already given to me to be a steward of the resources that he's given me. Did you know that your, your skills, your mind, your education, your abilities, all that was from God? That God gave that to you? And yet, yes, you worked hard in your education, and yes, you worked hard in your uh, career. But the, even the ability to work hard and think hard and study hard actually came from God in the first place. It'd be like the farmer saying, look at this seed I created. And he'd be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The farmer doesn't create the seed. The farmer is just a steward of the seed, right? He bought it from the store, which they got it from somewhere, and they got it from somewhere, and God was the first one that made the first seed. So every seed that you possess is actually on loan from God. How you doing with the resources that God has put in your hands? How you doing managing and stewarding what God has already put in your hands? Now, we're not going to put your, how you're doing up on the screen for everybody to look at today. But just think internally. How are you doing managing the resources that God has given you? Everything that you possess ultimately belongs to God. So th the first thing is, is the seed. Number one is somebody say the seed. Here's number two. We see the sower. The sower. It's amazing to me that in God's plan, in God's economy, in God's strategy, in God's kingdom, that sowers get to be involved in the process. Um, you ever thought about this? Like, if God wants fruit, if God wants a plant, he just snap his fingers and have a plant, right? I mean, if God wants something, he just can snap his fingers and, and, and create it. Like, but God chose in his economy and in, in the way that he would operate to let you and me be a part of the process. God chose in his providence and in his sovereignty that, that he would actually use you and me as the conduit through which his seed would travel. That the, his resources uh, would actually travel through my hands and your hands before it would ever actually be planted into the field. Isn't, isn't it amazing that we get to be a part of the process, that we get to be a part of 
God's process in his kingdom. I just think that is amazing for me. I mean, God's kingdom advances through you and me. Like, I don't see in the Bible where, like, an angel showed up and, like, dropped a, a few grand, like, in order to plant churches. Like, I don't see in the scriptures where, like, an, an angel showed up or a money tree was grown and international missionaries were funded because of a money tree. No, God's kingdom advances through you and me. That's God's means. That's God's strategy. That's God's, that's God's vehicle, is, is you and me. That's how he does it. I'll say it this way. God's resources for God's mission reside in God's people. Like God's resources for God's mission reside in God's people, which means it's our generosity that actually fuels and propels the mission of God. This is amazing. He uses you and me. It, it's, it's, it's awesome. My, my daughter, um, I want to show you this little, uh, my, my daughters, they are like, they craft for days. I've got three little girls, and they, I have like thousands of little things that they have given me, which is amazing. Um, there's this little heart that I want to show you that Nora made, um, I think it was actually a couple years ago. I keep this in, in my Bible. I keep it in the front in the Old Testament just because it's easy to find. And um, she, um, she gave this to me one day on, on the back. You don't see the back. On the back it says, um, Jesus is the best on the back. And then on this, you can actually see on this side, it says this, this is amazing. On the left, you'll read, how do people hear about Jesus? She made this in Bridge Kids, by the way. Way to go, Bridge Kids. How do people hear about Jesus? Then on the right side, it says, God uses us to till about Jesus. Now, my kids are still um, adapting in their spelling um, growth in, in, in school. They're, they're working on their spelling. Granted, this was a couple years ago. Um, at first, I'm like, ah, that's so cute. She misspelled the word tell and wrote till. And then I was like, hold up. God does use us to till about Jesus. Actually, maybe that's like a prophetic typo in the way that she's like. <laughs> God does, God uses us like to, to plant seeds, to till. To work, to work the field, to plant, to see, to see his harvest come. That's, that's the way that, that's the way that he, he works. He, he uses you and me, and, which means God's resources for God's mission reside in God's people. Y'all need to hear this, all right? There isn't some, like, angel endowment in heaven that's funding what we're doing here today. All right, it's you and me. It's Christians following Jesus and being radical with the resources that he has given us. Now, you're like, Ethan... You got to admit, you got to recognize, sowing is a little scary. You thought about this? Sowing is actually scary, isn't it? Sowing means you got to let go of the seed. What if it's the only seed that you have? Sowing is scary because you, you've got to let go of the seed and you actually have to put it somewhere else and it's no longer in your possession and then you're just put in a position where you just have to trust in the process. Sowing is actually um, scary. First, it kind of feels like a loss. Letting go of something that I could have, that I could retain for um, myself. I have to let it go. It's scary. Do you know that giving for the first time, giving financially to God's mission is scary as well? Like, I don't know how this is going to work. This just doesn't make, make sense. Like give of my 
money and my resources to God and to his church and to his mission. It is, it is, it is scary. It, it's scary at first because it, it feels like a um, loss. But here's, here's what's true. Experienced farmers have learned over the years what initially feels like a loss will eventually be transformed into a harvest. Far, farmers have developed enough of a, a sowing reflex in their lives where they're eager to sow. Like the farmers have gotten to a point where they're like, they're looking for more land. They're like looking for more seed. They, they want to sow more because they've learned over the years that actually the more seed that they plant is actually a greater harvest that will come. And that if they sow bountifully, they're actually going to be able to reap bountifully. But it's scary at first if you've never done it before. And so if you don't sow, if you don't learn to let go, if you don't learn to release, if you don't sow what God has given you, you don't um, you won't be able to receive the harvest that God wants uh, to give you. I'll say it this way. If you don't release it, you won't receive it. I can just, I can just tell some of y'all are like, this is a joke. I can, I can tell. Like the Holy Spirit's like telling me that right now. Some of you think like, okay, this is just a clever way. This is a faith principle. This is a spiritual principle. This is what it looks like to actually know God and to follow God and to live according to faith. Is that you have to be, um, step out in faith and release what he has put in your hands in order to be able to receive what he wants to give you. Um, you got to live it. You got to live it. You got to trust the process. You've got to trust God. I heard of, a, I heard of an older pastor one time. Older pastor. He brought a younger couple into his office uh, one day after after the worship gatherings and he sat down with this younger couple they were struggling with giving they'd never given before they wanted to give financially to the church but they had never done it. they're like how are we going to make in meet make ends meet we don't really have enough to be able to give what are we going to do and so the pastor said well okay let's just calm down let's just calm down for a second let's just do this all right whatever you feel like um would be faithful for you right now to be able to give whatever you feel like is on your heart to give to god why don't you go ahead and write a check write the check now and we won't cash it. I'll just put it in my desk drawer in the top, and, and I'll leave it there. And then you go ahead for the rest of your month and see if all of your needs are met and see if you can actually live that way. And then if you come to the end of the month and you need the check, we can get it and we, we can rip it up. Or if you don't need it, then you can actually give it. He's like, what do you think about that? You, you, do you want to try that? And they're like, yeah, we, we can do that. It sounds like a good deal. And he looks back at them and he says, shame on you. You trust me more than you trust God with your check. You, you, you trust me with your resources more than you would actually trust God. Why is it that you feel more confident with it in my top desk drawer than you do in, in God's hands? See, that's, that's, what, that's what's happening, y'all. That's what's happening. It's, it's a faith moment. It's a faith moment where you actually have to trust God and put your money where your mouth is. And trust him with what he's asking you to do and what he is leading you to do. Because if you don't release it, you won't receive it. Now, I love the way that... Um, the Apostle Paul says, you got to give cheerfully. Like, you gotta, you got to give cheerfully, which means you actually have to have a good attitude when you do it. You ever done anything and not had a good attitude when you did it? You ever done laundry and not have a good attitude when you did the laundry? How many of you put up Christmas lights yesterday and you did not have a good <laughs> attitude when you're putting up Christmas lights? Uh, at your you know, that actually steals the jo- that actually steals the joy out of the process, right? It actually takes, it actually takes away. God's like, I don't need your money. 
God's like, I don't need your money, all right? If you don't want to be a part of this, if you don't want to do this, if you don't want to invest in, in what we're, we're doing, I don't, want you, I don't want you to give it, all right? I, I want you to be able to give in a cheerful way, like in a joyous way where you, you get giddy about this. Like you love to be able to give. That's what I want you to do. God loves a cheerful giver. God actually loves a cheerful giver, and we've got to get to a place where we recognize that this is something that is a privilege for us to do. It's a privilege to be able to participate with God in his mission, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It, it's, it's beautiful. It's one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to invest my life in the mission of God and what he is doing. You see, every Christian has to get to a point in their spiritual maturity where you make the leap and you make the change, the shift, from have to to get to. All right, every Christian, all right, every, every, every follower of Jesus has to get to a point where you begin to recognize and you begin to understand that this, all these things aren't things that you just have to do. These are things that you get to do. Like, I don't have to read my Bible. I get to read my Bible for crying out loud. It's the revelation of the Most High God written to me. I get to do that. I, I, I don't have to serve. I get to serve. I don't have to go to community group. I have to go to corporate worship. I get to do those things. I don't have to give. I get to give. Like, it's a privilege. It's, it's a joy. It's like one of the, it's, it's amazing that I get to participate in this and, and do this. You get to. You've got to make the shift from have to to get to. Now, um, now there, there's, a, there's a verse in here that, like, um, I'm just going to be honest with you as a pastor it's like one of these scary Bible verses for a pastor. It says that each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Um, now, I know that some of you have, like, uh, bad experiences when it comes to churches and money and maybe the way that they have operated. Some of you may have good experiences. Some of you maybe have no experiences. Um, I, I grew up in a church where it was like you either tithe or you go to hell. I mean, any, anybody grow up in it? I mean, it was like the, the tithe is the Old Testament 10%. I mean, the preacher was like, he's like, you, I mean, it was basically, he didn't say this, but he's like, you better tithe or you're, you're going to hell. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a pastor's way of guilting people into, like, giving money because, I mean, we've got to turn the lights on and I need a salary and th this and that. Um, when we planted this church, and I really felt like the Lord was leading me away from that as the only kind of idea that we should think of whenever we give into a more, I think, more broad, more biblical idea of giving. And on, can I be real with you all? Um, for, for a pastor... To read that verse and to say, just they should decide in their own heart. That's like, that's like hard for a pastor. We want a formula, okay? Y'all need to give a formula. It needs to be this percentage. And if everybody gives this percentage, then we can do what we want to do. I have to trust in the process as well. See, I have to believe that the Holy Spirit is in you, that God is in you, that God is actually leading you and directing you for how you should give, that, that he actually knows what you can give better than what I can. I mean, why would I think that I know what you can give? Why do I think I know what your finances are? Why do I think I know what your budget is and what your expenses are? God knows that. He can lead you and he can direct you on how to give and what it looks like to give. So l let me do this quick you, uh, quickly. Um, I'm putting words together. Um, quickly for you. Um, your rooted booklet on page 40, um, it's, we, it's kind of a, several pages where we've written on what it looks like, how to give God's way. All right. And, and so it's. A lot of people want to just slap a formula onto what you should give and then make that the requirement for everybody. I think it's a little bit more complex than that if you want to think through biblically on what it looks like to give. I'll walk through these real quickly for you. No, number one, how to give God's way. One, joyful. You, you've got to have joyful giving. All right, you've got to give joyfully. 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9 says, Paul says, I say this not as a command to prove, 
but to prove that the earnestness of others, that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And then he says, go ahead and give like that. You've got to be able to give joyfully. That, that's, that's a gospel-centered way to give. I'm giving because God has given to me. For God so loved the world that he gave. God's a giver. God's a giver. God gave what was most precious to him for you. And we, we give in response to that. If, if God has given me Christ, how can, how can I not be joyful in, in what I, I give back to him? So joyful. Num- number two, radical. Radical giving. All right, when we look at the, the Bible, um, we, we don't see a set formula for anybody. This, this is why I, I kind of love the tithe, then also like recognize the tithe isn't adequate uh, completely as well, or either because Jesus at one point tells somebody to give the tithe, the next time he tells somebody to give 50%, the next time he tells somebody to give 100%. Like, you're like, please don't l- let me be the 100% person, um, God. Um, what, 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 we, what we see is it's actually way, way more nuanced than that. What, what we see is radical giving, like radical giving, which means um, it actually should sting a little. Like the New Testament church, I mean, they're just, they're selling lands, they're selling possessions, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4. You've got Mary before Jesus, before Jesus leaves. She's breaking her alabaster box of ointment to Jesus, which was an annual year's wages to be able to worship Jesus and honor him. That's radical giving. I mean, we should, we should be giving in such a way that it is radical, which means it, it doesn't always make sense on a spreadsheet. The problem, like, I've got a spreadsheet, but the problem with spreadsheet giving is it doesn't let the Holy Spirit in, right? Unless the Holy Spirit tells you what to put in the spreadsheet. See, sometimes radical giving doesn't, it, it doesn't fit in, in a budget. So, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 9, um, actually 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 3, it says this. I'll jump down to verse 2. It says, um, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. It's like the church, they gave according to their means and then some. Like beyond their means. Like it didn't make sense. The way that Christians sh- should give to the mission of God should not make sense to the world. It should be, it should be radical. That's number two. Number three, um, it should be regular. Like not just like give, uh, you know, when I'm feeling like it or one day or someday giving. But no, this is a regular practice. This is a regular way that we give. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Which means anytime that God gives you produce, anytime that God gives you increase, anytime God gives you income, your first fruits should be given to God before anywhere else. See, what we do is we like, we, we, we buy a house, we buy a car, um, we, we get some expenses, we add up all of our expenses, and we're like, how much do we have uh, left over at the end? Oh, okay, I guess we can't give anything to God this, this month. Or maybe we can give a little bit here. Paul says, or as actually Solomon says, you've got the process inverted. You start with God. Like, what is God asking you to give? First fruits, you give to God first, and then you live off the rest. I mean, the kingdom of God would be transformed if we did that at all. I mean, it would just fundamentally tra- change the game if we actually did that. It should be regular, which means you, you give on, uh, through a regular pattern. Number four, a prayerful, that it should be prayerful. Like, uh, this is, comes from uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Like, you got to pray about it. you got to spend some time. What, what is God speaking to you? What is God saying to you? What, what is it that's in your heart that's overflowing and what you feel like you should give? It should be prayerful. And then number five, the last one is local. Local giving. Now, our generosity um, should be 
um, primarily given through the local church, through our local congregation. Now, when we look at the early church um, in the New Testament, we, we see occasionally where um, they gave to needs and causes outside their local church, but their primary demonstration of generosity was towards one another to their local body, to their local church, to their local assembly. And what that means is that we should see the local church as our um, primary, as the primary recipient of our generosity. And we have freedom to give uh, other places, y'all. And, and I, I hope that you, you give to, or, we give to organizations that are here in the city. We give to organizations, my wife and I, internationally. We give significantly to them. But our primary demonstration of generosity is to you. You're our family. You're our body. This, this is our church. This is the church that God has called us to invest in and to covenant uh, together. And so it primarily should be um, local. And so then, that means you got to figure it out. All right, so you got, you got to take those five things, and, and then you, you got to figure it out. I just can't slap a formula on it and say you got to give. It, it's up to you. It's, it's part of the process where you have to um, decide in your heart what God is calling you to give. All right, so... Number one was the seed, number two was the sower, and number three is the multiplier, and I got to go quick. Number three is the multiplier. Here's the short version. God is the multiplier. God multiplies the seed that you plant. I'll say it this way. God is ready to multiply whatever you are ready to release. God is ready to multiply whatever you are ready to release. I'm like, dang, I'm going to release a lot then. I mean, that's like part of, like, like not from the flesh, but from like a spiritual sense. Like, man, well, I want to release as much as I can to God. I, 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 I no longer like try to figure out what's the minimum that I, that I could give to God. What's the maximum that I can give to God? If God's going to multiply it and God's going to multiply the seed and supply more seed to be able to invest, God, I, I want to I release as much as possible if he is going to multiply it. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. This is like an exchange. God says, you're going to bless me. I'm going to bless you more. I'm, in every way, I'm going to be, make you able to abound. Now, there is a ditch of prosperity theology which says that um, righteousness, a sign of righteousness is your wealth. That's one ditch. On the other ditch is poverty theology which says a sign of righteousness is less and not having much. But this is a principle where we see that God actually blesses and he multiplies what we invest in this kingdom. And that God is looking to be able to supply more seed to those individuals and those families who are taking the seed and investing it for his kingdom. That's what he's doing. That's what he's looking for. He's waiting and he's looking for people that will do this. Y'all, like, if we invested what we had in the kingdom of God, there, there, is, there, there is infinite possibilities in what we could do here. I, one of my favorite stories is to think about a church back in the 1850s called the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which is a sweet name for a church, by the way. The Metropolitan Tabernacle back in London, England. It was at the height of the Industrial Revolution. People were moving into the cities, flocking to the cities. Great industry was happening there. But the city, London, wasn't actually able to sustain the growth that it was experiencing. And so healthcare was on decline. The economy was on decline. It was like a bad place. I mean, plagues and diseases are breaking out. People begin to leave the city. They actually go to the suburbs, build the suburbs. Uh, they're leaving, and everyone is fleeing the city. But Charles Spurgeon, the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, said, we're going to stay. We're going to stay and, and be here because um, we believe that there is great opportunity here. And he called his people to be generous and radical in the way that they gave. And here's what they did. They built hospitals like a church did. They, like, built hospitals like, we need a hospital in the city. Um, 
Let's just build one. Like, imagine if the city came to us and was like, hey, Bridge Church, uh, we're kind of underserving our community. Could y'all build a hospital? We're like, yeah, we can build a hospital because we got the resources to do it. They built almshouses for the poor. They built orphanages. They built a pastor's school to raise up the next generation of pastors. It's amazing because their people had invested the resources that they had. Like, every resource necessary for the kingdom of God resides in the people of God right now. Like, everything that God wants to do is actually in us right now. Everything that God would ever dream of doing and want to do is actually in our hands. It is, is resting in our hands. And so we talk about money, not because of what we want from you, but because of what we want for you. Like, I want to change this city, y'all. I want to change this city with the gospel. I want the next few decades of the history of Wilmington to be changed forever. Because of God's people, because we were radically generous and radical with the gospel and had a sense of gospel urgency about us that we actually believed this Jesus that we follow and believed that he could change the city that we are in. Now, here's how I'll close. Last night, I stopped by Food Line, picked me up a, a corn cob. Um, anybody still eat these, by the way? I'll tell you what, you put a corn cob on the grill and put a little, slap a little butter on that thing and... Toast that thing up, a lot of butter on that thing. Um, that's the best thing you'll ever eat right there. It's, uh, it's amazing. Um, stop by Food Line to try to find a, a, a corn, some corn. And, um, you know, corn is actually made up of individual uh, thousands of little um, seeds. Um, actually, I'm holding one of these seeds in my hand right now. It's hard to see because it's a little bit pale in color because it's sweet corn, all right, which is the best. Um, I had a friend of mine um, in the city, an older African-American guy, um, teach me this uh, principle one time. And he had a, a kernel of corn, a little seed, and he, he, said, he said, Ethan, how, much can this, how many people can this one seed feed? I was like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> uh, uh, it can't even feed anybody. And he says, no, this, this can feed the entire world. See, this is the potential of a seed. If you take the seed and plant it, it'll grow an entirely new plant with a handful of corn cobs and thousands of more seeds that you could plant exponentially and feed the entire world if you wanted. It's the potential of a seed. It's the power of a seed, but you've got to be willing to release it and let go of it and plant it in order to see it take roots. Amen? Amen? Now let me close with this. No sermon is complete until Jesus is the hero and Jesus is the center of that sermon. I love what Jesus would say to his disciples in John 12 verses 23 and 24. This is where it comes full circle. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified, speaking of his crucifixion. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was speaking of himself. Here's what this means. Jesus is the seed. Jesus was the seed. Jesus was the seed that the Father was willing to let go of. Jesus was the seed that the Father was willing to release in order to be planted into the world and see, Jesus, as he would say, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it can't bear much fruit. And Jesus himself would go into the ground, wouldn't he? 
he would go into the grave. And when he died, when it looked like he was dead, and when it looked like all hope was lost, the seed was just beginning to start. The seed was just beginning to grow. Life was coming into the seed. The seed was just beginning to multiply. And the enemy thought, the enemy thought that he had won. The enemy thought that the seed had died. The enemy thought that we were completely finished. But Jesus wasn't done, was he? He wasn't done because he was getting ready to multiply. He was getting ready to multiply and bring a harvest of righteousness unlike this world has ever seen. Jesus is the seed. And we have to recognize that that's the way that God expects us to operate as well. And will we hold on to the seed that he has put in our hands or will we release it back to him in his timing? Let's pray.